CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All spoken word and interviews are copyright 2010 by Talking Metal. They may not be reproduced without our written consent. Thank you. Hey, this is Bumblefoot, and you're listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Frank Ferrer, drummer of Guns N' Roses. How y'all doing? We're standing backstage at Madison Square Garden when I was 11 years old. My pops brought me here to see Kiss. Now I'm playing the garden, baby, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Yeah! Hey, this is Devin Townsend from Strapping Young Lad, and you are listening to Talking Metal. Fox from Big Elf, and you're listening to Talking Metal. You're one step closer to doom. Hi, this is Mike Levine from Triumph, and you're listening and watching Talking Metal. Hi, I'm Gil Moore from Triumph, and I'm here with you on Talking Metal. Hey, obviously a few weeks back... We lost Ronnie James Dio. I know John spoke about this in the last podcast. Uh, And I'm going to just briefly touch upon it in this podcast. I I met Dio back in 1986 when he was uh, doing an in-store autograph session for, I guess it was the intermission record. It's the only time I met Dio. We never had him on this podcast, which is uh, sad. But um, I got to tell you, I was an enormous fan of this man and his music throughout the years going all the way back to the, you know, Sabbath stuff is what I originally uh, discovered him with. And I I definitely do appreciate the, uh, the records with rainbow, but I mean, for me, it's mostly his, his heaven and hell mob rules, you know, holy diver was an amazing record last in line for my favorite, favorite metal records of all time right there. And, I can't tell you how bummed out I was about this news, uh, you know, hearing that we've lost Dio at age 67. You know, I mean, which is in today's time still rather young. Dio's father was still alive, is still alive, I should say. So it's very sad news. He left us far too early. Uh, He's a guy who was never known to be a, a big drugger, if you will, a drug user. Uh, he He was known for his music. He was not known for spitting blood on stage or doing acrobats on stage. This was a man who was a songwriter and an amazing singer. And, uh, you know, in the world of rock, you just could not do it better than Dio did it. I mean, he is one of the all-time great singers, period, outside of metal, inside of metal. You name it, this guy could, uh, I mean, really, he could have done a Broadway show if he wanted to. His voice was that powerful and that on. But he chose to do metal because that's what he loved. And we love him for that. And I think we've lost the greatest metal artist possibly of, of all time. I mean, that's that's how strongly I feel about him. I mean, there's a few other others I'd maybe put in that category, but... He's uh, he's the man. We're going to miss him greatly. This is Ronnie James Dio off of Master of the Moon. It's called One More for the Road. So I- 
James Dio on Talking Metal. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, guys. We really appreciate it, as Michael Butler says. Uh, we caught up with Mike and Gil from Triumph recently in New York City. John and I did. Triumph, back in the day, guys, when I was a kid, you know, mainstream FM radio would play bands like, you know, Van Halen, you know, Led Zeppelin. This is like in the 80s I'm talking about. And Triumph, you know, a lot of the metal, like Dio, for example, it was rare. Occasionally, you'd hear Last last in Line on FM radio in Chicago back where I was growing up in the, <clears throat> in the 80s. But Triumph was a band, a hard rock band, that broke through that and actually got airplay on FM radio, you know, along with Van Halen, Led Zeppelin, The Fix, you know. Men at Work, you know, Triumph was a band that that slipped through that and was able to get mainstream radio all over the United States and was a very, very popular band that I feel um, some people don't uh, talk about as much as some of the other great hard rock bands from that time period. Now, granted, they they did go into the 90s and do do stuff then, but one thing that I'm excited about is their new record. It's Triumph Greatest Hits Remixed. They've actually gone back and remixed a lot of their classic songs. You can uh, pick this album up. It's in stores now or, or buy it online. Go check their site out at triumphmusic.com. Uh, Triumph, again, one of the biggest bands, biggest hard rock bands of of our time, really. I mean, you look at the Us Festival, which we're going to talk to them about, and, you know, it was like Scorpions, you know, Quiet Riot had, was the opening band, you know, but the headliners were like Judas Priest, Scorpions, Triumph, Van Halen, you know, so so they were right up there. Uh, again, that was Heavy Metal Day back in, I believe, 1983, Us Festival, and we're going to talk about that with Gil and Mike. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff with Gil and Mike. Let's get into a little music. This is a classic song by Triumph, remixed and remastered on their new greatest hits CD. This is Fight the Good Fight.
Hey, this is Mark from Talking Metal, and we are here in New York City with Mike and Gil from Triumph. How are you guys doing? Excellent, Good, excellent, excellent. Glad just to get, be here. You just got into town? We did. Yeah, yeah. we showed up, and uh, you guys were here. <laughs> well, we had some trouble with uh, setting up lights down in the uh, restaurant area, so we're back here in your hotel room, so thanks for... Uh, Letting us in to your uh, your little space here. We want to talk about what's happening now with you guys. There's a, a brand new record, a greatest hits record, which is also remixed. A lot of times these greatest hits records come out and they're the same old mixes that the fans have been hearing for years. Let's talk about what's different about these mixes. Well, we started by tearing everything right back down to the basics. So it's really like starting over again. It's not a remix in the sense that, you know, say the word gets bandied about in the hip-hop world when they talk about remixes. These are the real deal. So we bounced all the analog tracks into Pro Tools and just stripped everything down. Didn't re-record anything, so there's nothing that's been added whatsoever. They're the original tracks. But if you were to take, you know, the track from, you know, whatever album that it was from and listen to Greatest Hits Remix, same track, the A and the B factor would be, you know, big difference. You know, the subwoofer was, uh, you know, kind of not part of the realm of things back in the 70s and 80s, the way it was in the 90s and so on. So it's a big difference in the techniques involved. Are there parts that possibly didn't show up on the original records that are now showing up on this package? No, all the parts are the same, but there's a, a huge difference in the sound, like especially in a vehicle, you know, because they've all got big, powerful sound systems now, so... It just sounds like, I don't know, if you, if you listen to any record from the 70s and the 80s, Deep Purple, Zeppelin, whatever, and say listen to Metallica that was a little later on, there's a big sonic difference. So this is really a complete remix of all our tracks. It's, you know, at, at a standard that was, you know, the last 10, 12 years, something like that. And did you do stuff like, say, like I was listening to a record just recently and I, I was like, wow, this hasn't aged well because of the gated reverb on the yeah. drum or something. <laughs> did you did you take effects off and put new effects on and tracks or is it, you know, what happened in the actual mix with the actual tracks and effects? There would, there would have been a quite a bit of that, I would say, yeah. So there would have been different, because you're starting from the raw tracks again, so all the reverbs would be different. Um, even even if by chance, you know, Rich was trying to emulate a sound that was already there, he would have used different effects, um, different different actual boxes. You know, in some cases, there might have been a few reverbs that were the same, like EMT plates and so on, but I would say pretty much everything's new. Now, Mike, you ran into Rich, I heard, and is that how you first approached him about doing the remixes, or how did that work out? Because I know you knew him from the past. Yeah, Rich had worked, um, we did a King Biscuit um, live triumph thing together, and that's when I realized that Rich had a lot of talent. You know, I had no idea he was that good uh, an engineer. So we were talking about doing the remix, and uh, it was a beer store or a restaurant or somewhere. And I, I hope it was a beer store, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> I ran into Rich, and we were chatting away. And he had been in L.A., and he'd been working with doing some Aerosmith work and other artists. And uh, I hadn't seen him in ages. And he, we were just talking about what's going on. And he said, well, what are you guys doing? And I said, well, we're thinking about remixing. I want the job. <laughs> I, I have to do it. I'm the biggest. Because he's star. a fan, right? Oh, he's yeah, a major fan. Big, biggest Triumph fan in the world, you know, if that can possibly be. But, you know, he grew up with the band. He's, you know, a touch younger than we are. Um, but uh, immensely talented, uh, you know, and we had to give him the gig because he he knew Triumph. And I knew he instinctively, I hope, I hoped I was going to be right, that he could capture the essence of the songs and really make them smoke. And he did. Cool. Now, here's the thing. I know you had to pick 14 tracks, and I know it was like an insane process. And if you look down the track listing, I mean, every song is great. And there was a story about Ordinary Man. I know that's a, a fan favorite, but it just came up 15th, and you only could put 14 on. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, we had to draw the line somewhere. And, uh, you know, we took our cues really from the fans. You know, when we played the festival in Sweden, we got a, uh, the results of a contest that they ran over there where – the fans were asked, you know, what would you like to hear the band play? We had tons of feedback from, you know, our website and, you know, just kind of anecdotally with people that we know in the neighborhood and so on. So we boiled that all in the pot and said, okay, here are the ones. And, you know, yeah, you can't, at a certain point, you run out of capacity on the disc and so on. But between what's on the video disc and the, or the DVD, I should say, and the, and the CD, boy, there's a lot of triumph on there. Without a doubt. Now, 
I want to talk about the brand new track, which was recorded a while back with Phil X, and it's Nazareth's Love Hurts. Tell us about that. Well, we recorded that, what, Mike, about 94, 93, 94, 95, somewhere in there. A while ago. Yeah, a long while ago, <laughs> and, and got it finished, and it was just sitting in the can, and uh, we always thought it was, uh, it was a great track. We liked it. We haven't done many covers in our career, and that's one of them, so we thought... Here's a good uh, here's a good spot for us, giving something new. So, and we're having trouble finding anything else new that was um, actually any good to <laughs> to actually put on, that as you know, it's just something fresh that nobody's heard before. So it was an obvious choice. That, that, that was like an easy one. Cool. And and both Phil and Rick were supportive of these remixes and involved in the whole process. Um, actually, the remixes happened uh, or were in the process, I guess, before Rick. And Gil and I got our shit back together. Right. And um, perhaps, you know, if we, if we had, would have thought about it, we may have asked Rick to play on it. But, you know, but then again, it's kind of like that's part of Triumph's history. That Triumph right. V2 with Phil, I mean, that's a reality. You can't just throw it away. So, um, uh, you know, I think Phil, I haven't seen Phil or talked to Phil in I don't know how long now. Yeah, it's been a few years. Like, yeah. Phil, Phil usually comes and visits me because I live near where his parents live. So... Uh, but he hasn't been back to Toronto recently that I know of. But, you know, we're still really close with Phil. He's a great guy, phenomenal guitar player. He's, like, I think the number one caller. So down in L.A. now is session guitar player because he's such a great guy and such a great player. Yeah. But uh, we, labeled this, we labeled the track that's on uh, wherever Phil appeared on the record. We labeled it Triumph E2 because, cool. you know, really Triumph was Rick, Mike, and Gil. So no disrespect to Phil, but... Uh, you know, we, we had the, the obviously the career together and stuff, and we didn't know what was going to happen when we uh, when we started to work with Phil. We did go out, we did a small tour. We played what about ten shows, maybe, ten shows with yeah. Phil. Yeah, and you know, it just didn't feel like Triumph. It really didn't. And it was fun. It we was fun. It was a good band. It. Yeah, it was a good band. It just wasn't really Triumph. You know, and like I said, no disrespect to Phil because we love him, but uh, it's it, just, all, it was our fault. Yeah, that no, wasn't so. Phil's fault. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so when you guys look back over your career, what albums jump out as your favorites? All of them? All of them? Yeah. Sure, why not? I mean, you make an album and you go, it's it's your first album. That's your, your you spend your whole life making that record. Um, but you know, the special part is, you know, you you get to know your partners. How you know how everybody works together in the studio, and if you don't break up, you got a shot at a career. So, and the next best part is, that's my shit on the radio. My God, it's actually we I can hear it on the radio, and you go, that's the most exciting thing you'll ever as a musician, as an artist, a guy in a rock band. You know, that first shot is like it's it's actually on the radio. It's not in the, the delete bin yet. So, that to me was the the, the biggest thrill. I you know musically. Probably not my, my most favorite album, but from all those other angles, it certainly is my most favorite album. Cool. Now, I wanted to go back to the first album that I really got into. It was the first Triumph album that I had, which was Thunder 7 from November 84. And, Mike, I know you did a lot of the production on the early records, but how was it working with Eddie Kramer on that one? Well, from my standpoint, Eddie was the first producer I ever worked with that was hard on musicians and we became lifelong friends as a matter of fact he's at metalworks right now if you can believe it. wow that's, that's great coincidental that you would ask that question but uh eddie's a great guy but you know i can still remember being at the at the receiving end of okay gail try it again no <laughs> try it again okay one more you know what i don't think you're getting this okay one more here we go <laughs> forget it forget it it's not gonna work and this is wow. back in the day, pre-Pro Tools, so wow. it wasn't like, well, the first part well, of that no, no, was good, we'll no cut to the second no fixing this. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's Eddie, right? Yeah. Yeah. And now, did you guys play to a click back then, or just no. go for it? No click tracks, no. no. Everything was raw. You know? And would it, be, would it be you laid the basic tracks down live together as a unit and then go back and do overdubs, or was it you drums too. first? Following? 
Yeah, we we did a rhythm section. And, we would and jam a lot, sort of get a rough track down, yeah. and then we'd sort of start over again and go back and go track by track. Yeah, yeah, if if need be. But if we could get a, a drum bass track together, or, or which we did, uh, I think uh, lots of times. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We got lucky. Yeah. Um, uh, or the, and a scratch guitar that was you know in time and everything was cool. Um, but the drums and bass we tried to nail. You know, because that's the, you know, we're the two most important guys in the band, obviously. And, and <laughs> without a drummer and a bass player, you got nothing, you guitar guys. <laughs> now, as a, as a young heavy metal hard rock fan growing up in the, uh, the 80s, I always remembered seeing the Us Festival Heavy Great. Metal Day on uh, TV. And, and you guys were a big part of that. And I just, uh, as a fan of that, that whole day and all those bands, Triumph included, what are some of your memories of that show? Um, the scope. The scope, yeah, I yeah, guess. Just, yeah, just the sea of people looking out and having played on a lot of big, you know, festival stadium type events where you had maybe 50, 60, 70,000 people. When you suddenly see something that dwarfs that and yeah. you cannot see the back of the audience. No matter you, you look in the horizon, it just goes out like that. Suddenly you realize, well, this is a historic event. This isn't just another show. Yeah. And you guys released that on record. Yeah, we were the only band that actually has a DVD out of the US Festival. And we had a bit of a special relationship with Steve Wozniak, got to know him at the time. And Is that the uh, same guy who was on Dancing with the Stars? Yeah, like, that's the same <laughs> Steve Wozniak. Yeah, Apple computer, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, they granted us the uh, what we asked for in our contract. We were the only band that just insisted on... We wanted to own the video that was shot that day. We insisted on it. Steve granted it. And we're looking back on it, I guess it was a good thing because, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's there for posterity and, and so on. They fly, they, before the show, uh, you guys got on a helicopter to fly in. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. saw it. Actually, there's, there's footage from the helicopter in the, uh, uh, in the, in the mm-hmm. Triumph Live at the US Festival DVD. So you can actually see when you look down. It's like a sea of people. It's yeah. like looking at a city. Yeah, you know, they look like ants, but you know <laughs> it looks like a city when you look down from the copper. Now uh, we we were talking about Sweden rock before. Now how was it getting back together with Rick and doing that gig? Best part was uh, just the interpersonal stuff. You know, we just had a laugh from the minute we took off till the minute we came back, and the rehearsals were a hoot. You know, like we had a you know kind of like a hat in the center of the room, five bucks for a mistake, that kind of thing. It was. It was a lot of fun going back and doing the songs again. Now, you guys first hooked up at the, not the 2008 Canadian Music Hall of Fame induction, but there was one in 2007, right? Yeah, Canadian Music Industry Hall of Fame. We did that one first, and then the the one for the uh, Canadian Music Hall of Fame was the following year. Now, do you guys have any plans to take this back out in the road? You know, the official Triumph plan is there's no official Triumph plan. So right. we're taking it one day at a time. Like, we had dinner with Rick uh, about 10 days ago and, you know, annoyed everybody in the restaurant that we were in because we were laughing so hard. Right. So we got a great thing going on personally. And uh, he's out touring right now. That's why he's not down here with us. And uh, we're just taking it kind of one day at a time, you know. And if it falls together and everybody's life uh, hit the same groove again, we'll do it. But you got to remember, you know, you take a bands that uh, you take a band like, say, Van Halen, or another one of the bands that's, you know, had guys in out, in out. Whether it's, you know, um, there's no, there's a continuity there. I guess is what I'm trying to say that isn't there with us because we had like a complete separation for a long period of time. Right. So it just takes longer. Everybody's life takes a different direction, and uh, you know, but we're great friends, and we'll see where it goes. Cool. And before we uh, we let you guys go, you mentioned Metalworks before. To the Talking Metal listener who may have no idea what that actually is, can you explain it? Well, Gil, you explain it. You okay. know it better than I do. All right, Metal. Well, it's it's really three companies, but the the company that everybody's heard about is Metalworks Studios because we've recorded all kinds of you know famous albums there that have famous acts that have been through over the years, and it's you know nearly thirty five years old now. But since then, it spawned a live event company called Metalworks Production Group and a school called Metalworks Institute. We've got a couple of hundred kids there studying the industry. And uh, we're out on tour, you know, with different acts through America, through, the, through uh, Canada. And, uh, you know, so it's a lot of fun and a lot of people that are, you know, like-minded that work there. And it's a great, it's a great environment. I love going there every day. And my daughter's there with me, too, so my oldest daughter. 
Very cool. And I know a, a ton of amazing artists, including Guns N' Roses and, uh, you know, uh, Tom Cochran, who is one of my favorite uh, musicians. And just a ton of people have went through Metalworks and are currently, like you said, Eddie Kramer's up there right now. Yeah, he's there right now. He's working on a new band. Uh, you know, we had the Jonas Brothers there not too long ago. I'm sure they're high on your list. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, we do a lot of stuff with iTunes now. So with iTunes, they, we, a lot of the bands coming in from the States will end up coming through the studio for a day. And, uh, you know, we do some movie television work as well. And uh, it's just it's a lot of fun. We just enjoy the heck out of it. Cool. cool. I know you guys have uh, other people waiting, so I just want to just blow through a couple of quick things about the uh, CD and the packaging. Now, Gil, I know you wrote the liner notes. There's tons of never actually, be. Actually, I didn't write them. No, there's the the liner notes are actually a combination of of liner notes that were written for different. Re- they weren't even liner notes. They were a combination of biographies and sleeve notes that were written for different projects. And what I did is I edited them together like a collage. Oh, cool! And I filled in some blanks and uh, as far as Come some historical. <laughs> Jesus, take some crap. I wish I wish I wrote it. <laughs> like I thought the I fu- want the guys that did write it to be mad. <laughs> Okay, he didn't write it. <laughs> Mike, I like what you said, is that uh, you were surprised that they even listed the band members' names on the one greatest hits that was like a record company, like yeah. uh, fulfillment, yeah. contractual thing. Yeah. So this is amazing to have such a great package, you know, DVD, CD. Yeah. I mean, look. I mean, awesome. Look at this. I mean, come on. Look at that. Now, isn't is that, that great or what, guys? But, <laughs> but look what happens here, right? When you take this guy off, if I can get him off. Hang on. I need some help here. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Okay, look. Look, you got a picture behind there, Pictures right? Everywhere. Like live look, photos. Look that. that is a killer photo, man. Trying this to thing's got everything rock. but porno on it. That's everything right. you it's, could it's, possibly it's want. And look at this. And again, you got another one. I mean, there one. is some porno on there. You know, and it's like, oh, I tell you. And you haven't seen nothing yet, folks, because not only do you page. get the CD, the DVD, but you get, for no extra charge whatsoever, the beautiful... 20-page full-color booklet with liner notes edited by Gilmore. Did you get a veg, get uh, Vegematic look, with it? You, you <laughs> gotta love it. Just get it. <laughs> so, guys, you better all go out and buy the Triumph Greatest Hits remixed package, not to be confused with remastered. And, guys, thank you very, very much for taking the time out in New York City to hang with us, man. Hey, man. Enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah, it's Thanks. Great. If we could thank get you. a uh, ID from you uh, saying uh, your names, your band, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Uh, do you want it together or individual? Uh, whatever. We, we, we're fuck-ups when we do it together. You know, we yeah, don't we'll know do which one. Individual. Yeah. Okay. okay. Dude, you guys hold the mics. Let's I'll hold the mic. Hi, I'm Gil Moore from Triumph, and I'm here with you on Talking Metal. Uh, what am I supposed to say? Okay, first, um, <laughs> this is Mike. From, yeah, yeah, I know that part. Yeah. Can I have a little more? And then we'll do the MTV2 after Okay, so and we, you're, you're listening to Talking Metal, You're right? watching Talking Watching, watching, watching. Okay. Hi, this is Mike Levine from Triumph, and you're listening and watching Talking Metal.
What you just heard was a little rock and roll machine going way back for Triumph. Remixed. And uh, check that out on Triumph's latest greatest hits record. And as you heard, Mike and Gil were really heavily involved in the the uh, the whole process with getting this album remixed and, and put out. And the packaging is great. I think they mentioned that in the interview. We also, the same day actually, we hooked up with Triumph. We hooked up with Bumblefoot. So we're going to catch up with Bumblefoot in just a bit. But right now, let's get into a little accept. This is XTC. just heard was XTC, the letters XTC. It sounds like you say ecstasy in the song, but uh, on the album it was XTC, and that was off the Eat the Heat record, which is the first Accept record that did not feature Udo. The second album will be coming out this September, and our good friend Mark, who played with us at the Screaming Metal show back a couple months ago and uh, also is known for his work with T.T. Quick will be handling the vocals on the new Accept record coming out this September. If you didn't hear our Accept uh, interview, go back. It was on the last podcast. Anyways, here is a little Bumblefoot. We'll get into the interview with our good friend, Mr. Foot, and we'll come back with, uh, with the song Dash. Welcome to Talking Metal. We got John here. Checking in. We are at the Gibson Guitar Showroom here in New York City, and Bumblefoot is back in town briefly. Hello there. Rocking it on the banjo. Have Have you uh, studied banjo? Nope. No, it's my first time playing it, actually. What is the tuning? Fourths? Or? Oh, I kind of tuned it like a guitar. And then we got the, the low string, always an octave up. So I could kind of just... Kind of fool my way through it. 
Yeah, yeah. So you're back in town for what? About a month before you go back out on the road no, with the Guns I'm leaving Rosen? next week. We're going to Scandinavia. We're doing uh, Norway, Finland. We're doing Russia. Uh, we're going to play Sweden Rock and then and then Denmark. And then we'll see what happens after that. Hopefully a little more Europe. And then who the hell knows? So that's, that's <laughs> what's going on with Guns N' Roses. But let's talk about just the Bumblefoot stuff. You have gone back into your past and you're re-releasing your first solo record which was out on shrapnel with mike varney right <laughs> this is correct sir oh uh, i don't mean to ignore you i'm like almost turning my back to you and stuff so anyway so um yeah 15 years ago i put out my first solo album it was called the adventures of bumblefoot it was on shrapnel records it was instrumental guitar music and it was cool you know put it out it was out in japan and europe and the u.s and it was getting steam and everything and then it went out of print, and uh, Shrapnel, they own the rights to it, so it's not like I could just put it out myself or anything like that. So it remained out of print until about a year ago. They got in touch with me and they asked me, uh, you know, they wanted to talk about putting it back out. So we started working on the artwork together, and we added a few bonus tracks to it, and it is going to be re-released 15 years later as a little digipack. Cool. And what I did is back then... Just as a labor of love, I spent about six months where I transcribed the whole album and I went through every track, every single thing, and I just wrote down the fingers, the picking, the notes, the tablature, every single thing for every track that was recorded, every little noise, every little flub. It's like uh, fret farts out on ninth string right. accidentally, like, you know, a little star, you know, and that note saying that, like every single thing is 200 pages and I'm going to put that out, too. So hopefully towards the end of this summer, uh, I should have that stuff out. It'll be at boldfreak.com and we'll give away, uh, uh, yeah. So well, not no give away, but we'll... It's no longer going to be on Shrapnel? It's it'll still be on Shrapnel, and then I'm just going to be... Uh, they're allowing me to, to sell them on my site as well. So we'll have them at baldfreak.com. We'll have the book there and autograph CDs there. And it's good to just kind of have that back. Now, you know? Mike Varney runs Shrapnel. And yes, he does. He, uh, you know, did the guitar player column. I guess still does the guitar player column. Yeah. I'm not sure. And is that basically your first kind of national exposure? That, that was that was kind of it. Yeah, it was August 1989 when he put me in the spotlight column of guitar player, and we always stayed in touch. And then a few years later, uh, yeah, we started doing some work together. Cool. And we did two albums. We did that one. And in 97, we put out an album called Hermit, which was a vocal album. And then after that, I kind of just went on my own and right. stuff. And Yeah. John! Yeah, I have a question for you. Yeah, yeah. What's up, man? <laughs> so, hello, Bumblefoot. How are you? Good, man. Good. So I got a question about notation. I was once a notation freak back in the uh, college years. And I'm asking... a freak of notation in his college years. Yes. yes. <laughs> and... Uh, a freak of it. Do you do this on a computer, or are you sitting there with like a, a pen, like on a staff paper, and you're writing this stuff out? Um, at first, you might be using that just to quickly do it, so that you keep your momentum up. As you're listening, you're writing, you're listening, you're writing. Nice. Yeah. Cool. But I mean, that's got to be an insane process. Not only to just notate what you know, your standard guitar book would notate. But you're talking about little sounds and other kind of stuff. It was a pretty insane process. It's crazy. <laughs> I know. Now, tell us, now, did you, you have this odd way of recording, which I think is genius, where you, you do like, you know, have done various different things, but you'll do like something where you'll play the entire album and then you'll go back and, you know, you won't like do one song at a time. You'll do like an entire album at a time. Tell us about that. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, for uh. <clears throat> For, uh, for Abnormal, I did that. When I was laying vocals, instead of laying a song at a time, I would just lay the entire album. Like, I would just go through 14 songs and sing them all, one after the other. And then, not even listen to it, I would go home. And then the next day, I would do the same thing. Next day, I would do the same thing. And I started developing just a comfort and a more natural way of, of feeling out the songs and everything. Because it was more like a gig. It was more like a rehearsal. It wasn't a recording project so much. And it was—I never did it that way before. It was—it was, it was kind of—it was good. I don't know if I would do it that way again, but 
but it was good to try that once just to see what it brought out. Did you have people there listening to you? You talked about it being like a gig. Yeah, sometimes there'll be someone there just so I'm in complete hammered up performance mode and everything. Because if I'm just by myself, I might get lazy, I might start just playing with my phone or whatever, you know. But then it turns into like a mixing nightmare at the end, or does it? Uh, I could, but what I would do is I would just listen through to a take, and I would just write down, like it, don't like it, like that verse, don't like that verse, and just narrow it down until I had something that I liked a lot of. And if there were a few spots that I didn't dig, maybe I would have a different take that I could just kind of fly it in. But for the most part, I might just use one take. Some of the stuff I use, just the scratch track. Like I know the song, uh, Jenny B. That one... Yeah, I did all of that work, and then I went back. I was like, you know what? When I first just laid a reference vocal of it, that one had the most life and the most realness to it. And I just went with that. So, yeah. Cool. And you have some stuff that's going to be available through the Rock Band video game. Is that correct? Yes! Yes! Sorry to me. How does that work? It's like a, it's an extra <laughs> bonus. <laughs> so, yeah, Rock Band. Um, I'm finally putting my music onto rock band i found some nut job that was able to encode all the stuff so i've been making stems uh to all you that don't know what stems are it's when you go in to your multi-tracks and you make a mix of let's say just the kick drum or just the snare drum or just the rhythm guitar or just the bass or just the lead vocal but you're doing it as it appears in the record with that volume and those effects and eq and everything on it so this way later you can just put them all together and say all right let me just uh, have the drums and no guitars or anything like that. It makes it real easy to do all the stuff for rock band where they need uh, just one track of kick, one of snare, one of everything else on the drums, one of bass, one of just one main guitar, whatever the main guy is going to be playing when he's playing the game. So it might be rhythm, then it cuts into the lead, and it's very easy to make those splices and still have it sound just like the original mix. And everything else just goes into an extras track. So yeah, it's doable. And I'm going to probably do the whole normal album and abnormal album. But we started off with the song Guitar Suck. And yeah, so hopefully that'll be up soon on Rock Band Network. Yeah! And are you much of a video game guy? Or no! Because no. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is. I'd, if I start doing that, I'll, I won't get anything done. I'll spend hours just playing video games, you know? Tell and us I, about the studio. Yeah. Yeah, I have a studio. Yeah. <laughs> and you haven't been there because you've been out in the road with yeah. GNR, and now you're I'd back. I bring the studio with me, but it's hard to lug, right. you know. Right. And it's, is it still called the Crack Den or the Crack House or what no, was it called? No, well, well, everyone used to call it the Crack Den because it looked like this abandoned, just, you know, drug den. Uh, just a real dingy place, and I've been slowly fixing it up little by little. It was a 100-year-old house that I got and just gutted and have been slowly fixing the place up. And it's getting close. It went from like a crag den to a meth lab to just like a pot farm. And now it's just kind of like, I don't know what it is now. Just And fans can see that in the, the one of the videos. In the video to the song Real. I have one room that looks like Swiss cheese. It actually has three-dimensional walls where the uh, yellow walls and the holes are in like an inch and with black paint in them. And so they're actually in uh, embossed real holes in the walls. Yeah, and I realized that you can actually see it on Talking Metal, the television show, in two places. That's the, right. <laughs> the jam, which is in the live the, room. Yeah, that's the upstairs right. room, which is nice and finished, and then right. the downstairs room where, where we were painting. Yeah, right. put we you guys painting. to work, and you yeah. guys were painting. So very, the very room. good. So and yeah. we ate a lot of pepper turkey there, by the way, guys. We ate all kinds of stuff. Yes, that's what we do. We get together and we eat. Yeah. What's the lady's name that has the Amish store? Oh yeah, yeah, the Amish the, um, farmers market, right. Sadie's macaroni, Sadie's, Sadie's right. and yeah. macaroni salad. I, I ate that. that that's it good was really stuff, good. Man. Thank you for that. That's good stuff. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> What's your mic back here? So, Ron, um, you guys just did an extensive tour. You were in what Asia, Canada, and South America, correct? At the same time. At all the three. same time. It's <laughs> big enough that we could kind of just like, all right, you three, you go and play Asia. You three, play <laughs> South America. <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, Taiwan, South Korea, and Japan, and then we did, uh, we went across Canada, we did a couple of acoustic shows in New York, and then we did all around South America and Central America, and now we're going to start with Northern Europe. And what happened in South America? There was a tornado, the stage fell over or something? Everything happened in South America. What didn't happen in South America? I mean, I don't know where to begin. All right, just 
typical day. All right, the uh, bus carrying the crew breaks down, and they're two hours late getting to the venue, sitting there, you know, stranded. Um, another bus veers off the road and smashes a bunch of Sebastian's gear. Um, two guitars get stolen. Um, finally, get to the venue, set up the stage, uh, and then I think it's the only tornado ever to hit Brazil. Hits Brazil and hits the stage it, of all places and knocks down the stage where it would have killed the first 30 feet of people, but because that bus broke down, it delayed the doors opening for two hours because it was two oh, hours late getting everything good. done. So everything just happens for a reason, but I just don't understand why it had to happen. Um, yeah, so things like that, a lot of things like that. It was just a very intense tour. But we made it through. I mean, you know, you got to weather the storms and you do what you got to do. So we did it, had fun, and now we're going to do it some more. Did any of your guitars get damaged or stolen, or was it somebody else's stuff? Uh, yeah, Johnny Chromatic, I think two of his guitars got jacked, but he got them back. The cops found wow. them, and they got them back to huh. him. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, things happen. Now, speaking of guitars, are you using your Les Paul? We're at the Gibson showroom. You're probably using the Vigia guitar, too. I'm using, mostly I'm using the custom double neck, which I need for a lot of the stuff. It's a, you know, regular guitar down here, and then it has a fretless neck a gold fretless neck on top, and during the songs I'm switching for slide stuff, I go to the top neck and switch back down. For a lot of the Chinese democracy songs, I played a lot of fretless guitar on that album, so for all those I'll be switching necks during the song and jumping back and forth. It's kind of cool. So I'll be playing those two necks while singing a bunch of harmonies, and it's a nice little, uh, nice little act. Are you bringing the Les Ball with you at all? Oh, it's there. Cool. <laughs> well, as long as it's there, just in case you need it. I do have it, yeah, and it sounds real nice, yeah. Good deal. It is there. It's the, uh, that Les Paul, that's the, uh, the, I got it in 89, it was a 59 reissue, Sunburst, an exact replica of the 59 that I got on the 30-year anniversary. It's a it's nice, nice one. It's definitely yeah. nice one. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, your mic. Cool. So let's uh, let's let's uh, talk about the future plans for the the Guns N' Roses band. Do you think they'll be coming through the U.S. doing some you know, tour I dates? Can't, I can't say anything about future plans, and it's not about like a gag order or anything. It's just that you can't make plans because you know in a day's notice things change. So it's so hard to predict, and everything always comes together at the very last second. So anything I say is just a big waste because may not happen or just you know may not even be in the works yet so the only thing i could really talk about are things that are going to happen within the week because there's a good chance that those things probably might happen yeah i got a question for you and uh regarding guns and roses how do you guys come up with the set is that something we can talk about you know we we have this list of songs like a master list and there's a basic structure that we usually stick to like the first few songs that we start with the first few that we finish with um, and everything in between, there's a basic structure, but a lot of times we pull out random stuff, you know, where we have this little talkback mic that only we hear, and, you know, one of us will say, uh, you know, what song you want to do next, and, and one of us will say something, and then we'll just bust into it, and then I'll be like, all right, let's do that one, and then everyone quickly, you know, grabs whatever guitar they need, go running for it, and, and we hit it. So, yeah. Most bands, you know, go out and tour. Talking Bumble. Yeah, talking Bumble. Most bands go out on the tour and they play like, they learn like 17 songs and that's all they know. But you guys probably have to learn about 40 tunes just to, to be aware and be ready for anything. Yeah, we got about 40 down. You know, everything off of Chinese, you know, pretty much everything off of uh, Appetite and a whole bunch of stuff in between. Some cover songs and, yeah. But there's things that sometimes they would just happen on their own. Like we started doing a little bit of a... Uh, Pink Floyd, The Wall, we started doing just randomly, just one day, you know, just started just, just going. And we just kind of went into it. Uh, if I play anything else, you guys are going to have to pay royalties. Yeah, we're, we're taping it. We, we get, we're going to put this out as a uh, Talking Metal uh, iTunes exclusive for $1.99. Um, I, w- I was going to say, wh- are there songs like A Strange or Dead Horse, um, two of my favorite illusion songs that... that you think we'll ever make it back into the set? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to say. You know, I mean, I'm down with anything. I'll play whatever. But you know, we'll just gotta see at this point. No plans, no nothing. Just see what happens. Right, definitely. Um, I wanted to ask you. We recently lost Ronnie James Dio. 
Yeah, which has really been sad for both John and I. And I wanted to ask you about your memories of growing up listening to Ronnie in Rainbow, Black Sabbath, or Solo. Oh, man. I mean, you know, I remember first hearing the Rising album. And, you know, I had a cover band. And and what were we doing? We did Tarot Woman and Stargazer. And, yeah. And then what else? I mean, just... You know, the first two Dio albums, and, and I mean, just, you know, I, I don't know what the hell to say about it. I mean, it's, you know, it's still, it's it's too fresh, <laughs> you know, it's hard to talk about, because, you know, it's, it's, it's their family's loss right now. It's like, you know, we think of it like, you know, we just lost an amazing, you know, musical entity that gave us so much, but, you know, you know, Wendy lost her, her husband. Yeah. You know, it's, well, it's, you know, it's, it's yeah. It's true, though, you know, and, and even though I never knew the guy, I mean, sure, I met him, uh, you know, but I, I didn't know him, but I feel like I lost a friend, you know, which is, is, is kind of is kind of interesting how fame works with that, that type well, it's of just, thing. It's his music, you know, it, 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 you know, it touched the hell out of you. And yeah, yeah. So I find it hard to talk about this kind of shit. Um, yeah, all I could say is that, I, you know, I feel greatly for his family and, you know, and, and all his fans do. That's it. We actually did Mob Rules with you on vocals. Yes, we did. That's, That's right. right. There is a recording of that. We, uh, we have a video, and, and I don't think we ever edited down the stuff, but we did. We, we covered Mob Rules, uh, us with, uh, with Frank from Guns on Drums. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, we should try to resurrect that tune. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you, you ever mixed that down. I, can't, I know I have a version of Rock Bottom somewhere, which we also <laughs> yeah. did, did, but uh, I don't know if we ever mixed that down. You we'll to take a look. I, yeah, I, I, I still have it. Could mix it. Uh, well. If you have a chance, it'd be a, a great tribute and uh, be cool. Yeah. Now you mentioned Johnny Chromatic and Sebastian Bach's band, and and obviously you know John and I are good friends with Metal Mike. What is is is, is Sebastian's band? Is it a dramatically different sound now that Metal Mike's not there, or can you comment on that? I mean, you know, Metal Mike is an old good friend of mine, and it was great touring with the guy, and we're still always in touch and everything. And and he, you know, he kicks ass with whoever he plays with, and he was great with Sebastian. But you know, all things, you know things come to an end um so he's doing something else now and sebastian he got uh nick sterling who is also a kid that i've known since he was like god like 13 years old and uh he's a talented real talented kid and and uh and they're good so yeah so ron i wanted to ask you about your solos during the gnr sets you always come up with a, a cool twist on them tell us about the different solos and how you come up with new ideas well, let me see. The uh, <laughs> what I've been doing lately is I've been doing some kind of heavy version of the Pink Panther theme. Um, yeah, it's all over. Like if you Google, uh, YouTube it and stuff, you'll find like fifty versions of it. But yeah, what happened was I was just dead against doing a solo because I just hate doing them. Uh, you know, I'd rather be playing another gun song. But you know, all right, you know, got to do a solo. It was three days before we were leaving on tour, and I was still like, no, I'm not doing a solo. Screw this. Uh, uh, and I was like, all right, I got to do something. And I was like, all right, should I do uh, Peanuts? And they're like, nah, every MIT, you know, every GIT kid does that. And I was like, all right, how about the Pink Panther theme? Anybody ever do that before? I was like, nah. So we did a quick arrangement of it, and it's cool. It's fun. So, yeah. And what I do is, you know, I wanted to see if anybody would notice. So in one little spot of the song, I stuck in a little piece of Estranged. And wow. yeah, and like all the diehard fans, they picked it up right away. Yeah. Like, did he just play Estranged in there? But yeah, so that's it. So I'll be doing that for the rest of this batch of touring until I come up with something else. And tell us about the time. All the diehards know about this, but when you used to do, or maybe you only did it at Madison Square Garden when you did uh, Ace Frehley solo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to do that at, at Madison Square Garden. I was nine years old. The first concert I saw was Kiss at the Garden in in '79, and and it was my first time playing the Garden. I had to just pay a little tribute and a little bit of thanks because. You know, Kiss, they were the reason I got into music. I heard Kiss Alive when I was a little kid, and, and that's what made me pick up the banjo and and want to start doing what I'm doing. So, yeah, it was a little uh, tribute, kind of just feeling like I completed some kind of circle of something. 
Did yeah. you hear Ace's album Anomaly? Oh hell yeah, it was great. I like the packaging too, the way it folds out to that pyramid. That was very cool. Um, good album. Yeah, Fox on the Run cover. Actually, I just met the uh, guitar player of Sweet. Super nice guy. Really cool guy. Very cool. Yeah, I asked him about that too. Did, was he aware that Ace had covered it? I think so. Unless I'm just, unless I didn't ask him and I'm just like inventing all this in my head right now. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if I ever met him. <laughs> Mystery. We'll have, to, we'll have to go back to the archives no, and check it out. Meet him. He was a cool guy. And, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I like the Ace album a lot. It was really, really good. And yeah. now a friend of mine, Todd Youth, is playing guitar. Right, yeah, Todd's great. Yeah, yeah. We jammed when uh, when I was out in L.A. last year for a while, you know, rehearsing with guns. Todd came out and jammed with us a couple of times, and it was a blast. He's a very, very talented dude and just a cool guy. He's a New Yorker. Yeah, definitely. He was playing gigs with, with New York bands when he was, like, 12 years old or something like that. For For the longest time. And what was it, uh, Murphy's Law? Yeah. Main thing out here, and yeah, good stuff. Cool. And as far as your studio skills go, you were working with Return to Earth, doing some recording of their uh, new album, which is, what, Metal Blade, is it? What, what uh, label yeah. is it? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, Return to Earth was a, a little thing. Yes, yes. Low cue ball. Mr. Cue ball on vocals, and we got Chris Penny from Coheed and Cambria and Dillinger Escape Plan before that. And uh, it's a band that they had, very interesting stuff. And and their first album, Captains of Industry, I did some, re- uh, recorded some tracks for them and did all the mixing and mastering. And now they got a new album, Automata. This is going to be coming out, I think, around August on Metal Blade. And that one I mixed it. And uh, yeah, it's good stuff. So yeah, I've been keeping busy in between legs of the tour, doing whatever I can, trying to keep out of trouble. Now, do you do all this down at your studio or do you do some of it actually at your house? Uh, most of it I do at the studio mixing the Return to Earth album was a six-month project. They recorded it themselves. It was like 130 tracks of just crazy stuff. So I did all of that while I was on tour, just hanging out in the uh, in the hotel room. And, yeah, that was a big job, and it came out pretty cool. Did they record all that at your place? Or, oh, you said somebody else, somewhere else they did. They recorded themselves. They made their own setup and, and recorded it themselves. And I think some stuff they might have went to another studio, but a lot of it they did on their own. Cool. Well done. Cool. Well, let's uh, we'll wrap this up and we'll jump over to talk about some music videos. Is that cool? Yeah. Cool. Can we get a talking metal ID from you? A new one? I think we have three or four already, but we might as well get another one. How about you're watching talking metal since we're going to post right. this on YouTube? <laughs> What's up, everybody? This is Ron Fall, Bumblefoot, Guns N' Roses, and you are watching Talking Metal.
What you just heard was Bumblefoot with Dash. That was the acoustic version of the song Dash off the Barefoot EP, which I think came out, what, two years ago at this point, back in 2008, about a year and a half ago, I think, actually. Bumblefoot, our good friend, good to catch up with Bumblefoot. We wish him all the best. We're going to wrap up today's show with a little classic metal, if you will. Judas Priest, British Steel. It was uh, about 30 years ago this album came out. It's an album that changed metal history, one of the best metal albums of all time. Anyways, it's remastered, it's uh, re-released this year. There's a a DVD that comes along with this uh, remastered re-release, which actually features the band performing the album live, uh, and this live performance of... uh, British Steel in its entirety comes uh, from, I think, a a concert down in Florida in 2009. There's bonus tracks, there's interviews on this uh, DVD slash CD re-release. The original album artwork is included in there, Uh, plus you get a 12-page booklet and all new liner notes, so it's pretty cool stuff. This is... You know, I was going to play one of the maybe lesser-known tracks off of the album, but let's let's just go with Metal God's such a classic, amazing song with the Metal God himself on vocals, Rob Halford. Looking forward to seeing Rob on OzFest this summer. Uh, assuming I can get there, they're playing Jersey the week that my wife and I are expecting our second uh, child, so I'm hope, hopeful that I can get out there. Being that it's in Jersey, I'm thinking maybe I could go, and if there's any reason to uh split out of there um at least i'm in jersey and i can probably get home quicker than than being in new york city uh so we'll see but hopeful that i can catch uh halford with metal mike and and rob halford of course on uh ozfest this uh summer in uh jersey down at pnc art center metal gods off of judas priests british steel Go check out the 30th anniversary remaster of this album. Spreading like a disease 